ahead and grab out your Bibles and something to take some notes with. Uh, I want to welcome you to part one of a new series we are starting called Always Remember. Always Remember. And this is a book study. If you're new with us, we love to study the Bible in series, sometimes gathered around a topic, sometimes around a particular person. Uh, and then sometimes we walk chapter by chapter through a book of the Bible. That's what this one is, this series. A book study in the book of Second Timothy. And if you're new with us, we love to study God's Word, and we love to take notes as we study God's Word. And one day I will convince all of you that we love to study and take notes, all right? One day I will see more than one or two pens out there. It's going to be amazing. If you haven't downloaded the Victory Harvest church app though and you like fill in the blank version if you are on your phone i'm just going to assume you are in the victory app that's what i'm going to assume and you can download that on any device it has the fill in the blank version of the notes great way to keep all of your notes in there uh and then there's the bible reading that we do throughout the year as well as past messages awesome chance to connect uh, with all that we are doing here at the church so download that get it out Uh, we are starting a new series on a letter that paul wrote And he's writing Timothy, and he's, I think some of us, he's reminding him of some things that he should always remember. He goes through these different chapters in the book, and we're going to step through this. But he's reminding Timothy, hey, always remember these things. And he says it over and over in the book, I'm reminding you about this. I'm reminding you about this. I'm reminding. And the one for the first week, this first chapter, comes out of first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. This is our theme verse for the day. He says, this is why I remind you, here's the first thing, to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. This is, I love this reminder to Timothy. And I honestly, I love this idea for the church that we are supposed to safeguard and defend into flames. We're supposed to keep watch over our spiritual temperature. We're supposed to keep watch over the gifts that God has given us. Make sure you're fanning into flame this spiritual gift that God gave you. The spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit and the giftings that we have as Christians to make a difference in the world around us. It's our responsibility to safeguard the gift that God has given us. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are fanning into flame this gifting of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a quick setup of what's happening in 2 Timothy. So Paul, of course, is the author. Uh, You can kind of flip through the New Testament, put your finger down, and Paul is the author. uh, Just how it works. So he's writing to Timothy. So he's writing to his spiritual protege. And he's writing this letter. And we find in Acts chapter 16... That Paul meets Timothy for the first time on Paul's first missionary journey. And Timothy becomes a son in the faith. And Paul really pours into him and he writes him two separate letters. And Timothy, we know, is a very young leader. And so in 1 Timothy, he's probably in his 20s somewhere. And then in 2 Timothy, at the time of this letter, he's about 35 years old. And he's already a leader, a prominent leader in the church, in the early church of the time. And so he comes from a Christian home. He's got a praying grandmother and mother who we'll meet in just a moment. And so Paul is writing to him, but he's writing in a time of incredible complexity in the growth of the gospel. Gospel is exploding all over the known world at the time. And they're having all kinds of arguments about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. The early church is starting as Paul is taking the message to the Gentiles or the Greeks, the non-Jews. They're having these arguments between the Jewish believers about what it means to actually follow Christ. And whether or not they're going to require circumcision or whether they require other things of the law of these new believers. Whether or not they're just going to kill the church in its tracks. Come on, somebody. And so they're asking these things. And so they have this summit in Jerusalem. And they bring bring all these believers. They get there in Jerusalem and they discuss, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And they realize that it means that by grace you are saved. That you don't have to do it by works. By following Jesus you become a new creation. 
And so they have this idea, they realize it's by grace that he transforms your life. And Timothy is honestly incredibly complex. He's at the, uh, the crosshairs of all of this. Because Timothy's mother is a Jewish believer and Timothy's father, though, is a Greek. He's a Gentile. And so honestly, number one, he's at the crosshairs of all of this argument. But then number two, he's probably the perfect person to carry on Paul's ministry to the world. That Paul is ministering and reaching out the gospel to the non-Jewish people. That he's reaching the Gentiles and the Greeks. And Timothy is perfectly centered there. And so Paul is writing this, this letter reminding Timothy. And Paul at this time is in prison. So just kind of keep that context in your mind as well. Paul is in prison writing the letter. And it's the second time Paul is in prison. Come on, somebody. Paul's just getting thrown in. Second time. And this is the last letter that Paul writes. This is the last letter that he writes from prison before his execution. He's awaiting death at the hands of Nero. We'll get into that in just a moment. And he knows his time is short. He knows that this is the end. And he writes to young Timothy, preserve the faith And he writes to him, make sure you lean into the Holy Spirit's power and make sure that you continue to follow Christ even after I am gone. And he writes these things, always remember. And of course, our future depended on people like Timothy keeping the faith, continuing to follow Christ after Paul was gone. And so Paul is writing, Timothy, always remember. Timothy, I remind you. Timothy, I remind you. Do this. So let's back up to chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to kind of walk through this. Now, verse one is, you know, this is Paul and verse two is hello, Timothy. And so verse three is when he kind of gets into this. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did night and day. I constantly remember you in prayer and I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois and your mother, Eunice. And so we're introduced to a couple more names here, but he says, I remember your faith, your genuine faith that first was in your grandmother, Lois, and then she passed it on to your mother, Eunice. And I know that's that same faith continues strong in you. I love these affirming words that Paul is speaking over Timothy because he said, look, Timothy, I don't know if you realize this, but there is a spiritual legacy being passed. There's this blessing, this spiritual faith that your grandmother had and she passed it to your mother. And now your mother has passed it to you and both of them are pouring into you. There's this generational gift that's in your life. I don't know if you realize it, but there are generational legacies you get to pass to your children. I don't know if you understand that in the body of Christ. If you understand that under what we do, there are generational blessings you get to pass to your children when you follow the Lord. That you get to set an example and that then impacts the ones who come after you. And I want to talk for just a moment, and this is a little off track of where we're actually going with the series, but it just struck me as I read this verse in 2 Timothy, because I haven't spoken on this. I don't think I've preached on this ever, uh, except maybe on a Wednesday night or during one of the prayer nights, on this idea of generational blessings or generational curses. And I think it's an idea that gets, uh, gets misused or slandered or honestly gets used out of context so often that I wanted to just speak on it just for a moment. Because it just caught me as Paul is writing to Timothy. Hey, look at this spiritual legacy that you are benefiting from. Look at this thing that's happened. Honestly, the spiritual heritage. I've never caught on this this concept, but it comes from when people say this. It comes from an Old Testament verse that's under the Old Testament covenant out of Exodus chapter 20. This is an Old Testament principle. The Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he said, you'll not bow down to them. Or worship them, speaking about false idols or idolatry. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now we understand that about God, right? God does not allow us to have other gods than himself. He is a jealous God. He is one. And so we worship him alone. We understand that. It's a principle of following God, all right? If we don't understand that, come talk to me afterwards. And he goes on to say, I am a jealous God punishing the children 
for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So here in the Old Testament, he's talking about the fact there is a guilt of sin that can be passed down to the next generation. And now that's not saying like you would just have the exact same sins of your parents. That word sin he's talking there is iniquity. It's the propensity towards a certain type or a certain action of sin in a particular area. So when you hear someone say generational curses, often what they're referring to, they're thinking, well, I'll just always struggle with the anger that my parents had or my grandparents. Or we just, we just a family, we got alcoholics in our family. That's just who we are. We just, we always struggle with anger or we just always struggle with lust or greed or whatever. It's just a family thing. That's just who we are. You hear people talk about this or like, I'll always gossip. It's just what we do. It's just our, just our family. We like to talk and gossip. I'll always lust. I'll always have greed in my life. Always. It's just a family thing. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? It's just who we are. It's just what we do. Like you're a victim of whatever curse it is. And the first thing I want to say is the Bible is clear in the New Testament of which you are a part. That with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it broke every sin and curse off of our lives. That when my Bible says that when I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new life has begun. And so you don't have to be defined by your past and you don't have to be defined by your family. You don't have to be defined by whatever mess you came out of that God has rescued us under the New Testament covenant. That you can break those things off, that that's not what it has. And honestly, I would just I would just submit to you that it is important to understand what things might tempt you. Like if, if you say my entire family is alcoholic, it's probably wise that you don't have a glass of wine every day. All right, everybody. I'm just saying that out loud. Like that's what we would call stupid. All right. That's just what we would. We put out there, it's good to be like, why would you risk it? Why would you even go there? But at the same time, the Bible talks about that we are new creation in Christ, that the old has passed. And so every person now rises and falls before their own maker. Bible says if they're in Christ, a new life begins. And so don't let anybody tell you because you didn't have the right start. Or don't let anybody try to say just because something was always that way that you can't break that curse off of your life. That, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what we have been called to. And yet, even in the Old Testament, even under this idea, what people normally talk about that's been broken off, he says that the curse would last for two or three or four generations, but showing that same God shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So sin can affect three or four generations under the Old Covenant, but then God's favor and God's blessing can last thousands of generations to those who follow him. Even under the old covenant, the blessing outweighed the curse a thousand to one. The blessing outweighed. And so isn't that incredible? Yeah, we give God praise. All, all six of us are fired up about that. Come on. So like, isn't that incredible? And yet the devil tries to convince us, well, you'll never be good enough. And you just come from the wrong place and you just have the wrong family and you just got the wrong things in your life. And so you'll never break free of that. It'll just always look at the stuff that you are. You're just No, 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 no. Never let your background or your family or where you came from define you. God has called you. God has anointed you. And in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed. And I think two times we get so caught up in this idea of I have this horror. No, you are a new creation in Christ. And there is a spiritual legacy you get to pass on. Starting with you. We had Mother's Day last Sunday. My mom brought an incredible message last Sunday. But I just, can we just acknowledge? Yeah, come on. Can we, but can we acknowledge in the house too? Can we just honor the legacy of praying grandmothers and mothers who have stood in the gap for us? That legacy of spiritual legacy, like, like Timothy had, Lois and Eunice. Can we just, can we honor that? That legacy of someone praying for us? Someone, I can promise you, you go back a couple of generations. I promise you, you can probably find somebody who's praying for you. 
You probably find somebody who has prayed and stood in the gap for you. Somebody that followed the Lord who was willing to pass on a legacy of following Christ, a legacy of faith. Or maybe you're just convinced this morning. You're listening to this. And you're like, there's no way. That's great, Pastor. That's for everybody else. But you don't know my family. There's not a chance. I, there's nobody. There's no way. I came from all kinds of lost people and brokenness. Then maybe you can be the lowest and you can be the eunice for your family. Maybe you can start to stand in the gap. You can start a spiritual legacy that you're going to pass to your kids and their kids. Maybe it starts with you. Maybe you say, I know I came out of brokenness. I know those things, but that's not what defines me. Never let anyone tell you that because of what you came out of or because you didn't have a perfect start that you can't do what you need to do for the kingdom of God. God has called you. God has made you new and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. That God has a plan for you to make a difference in the world around you. Paul chose Timothy. And Paul is pouring into him at a young age saying, look, I know there are obstacles, but I'm telling you that faith lives strong in you. You are made for more. You have this calling on your life. It's why in verse six, then he says, so I need to remind you because you have this calling and you have the thing that was in your mother and grandmother and your mother and you've been called now. So I need to remind you to fan into flame this gift. The spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. There's this anointing, in other words, on your life, Timothy. There's this calling, something God has called you to do. And I hope you know the same is true for you today. You don't have to be Timothy. You don't have to be uh, written about in Scripture. You don't have to be the Apostle Paul to be called by God. God has a purpose and a plan for every single Christian. That he has anointed you. He has a place for you to reach. He has a calling on your life that God has called you to do. For every single person to make an impact. But I hope you realize that cannot happen without the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. That that cannot happen with what, and we have what we would call charismatic theology. And all that means is we simply believe in the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. That we believe that God has empowered us to do what he has called us to do. That anything God puts our hand to, he also gives the power to do. That some of the things, I would honestly get you to think most of the things that God called us to, we have no chance of doing on our own. But because of the Holy Spirit, because of the power that he brings into our lives, God has called us to make a difference on the world around us. When I look at scripture, there's no way I can interpret the way that Jesus modeled for us to follow us, to follow him. In fact, in Luke chapter three, we see John the Baptist. He answered the people and he said, John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan. And he says, I'm baptizing you with water. But the one who's more powerful than I will come. And the straps of his sandals I'm not worthy to even untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So many times you see the Holy Spirit mentioned in the New Testament. It's always always connected with this idea of fire. This imagery of the flame that Paul is talking about. Fan into flame this gift. The fire of the Holy Spirit. Another verse we'll look at just a moment about not quenching the fire. It's incredible how this imagery about the Holy Spirit. There's this power. There's something unique that comes with this relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus modeled it for us. He was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist. And when he comes out of the water, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descends and rests on him. And then you go and read your Bible. Then he begins to teach and to preach and perform miracles. And just a chapter later in the book of Luke, this is what Jesus says about himself. After he's been baptized, after the Holy Spirit rests on him, watch what he says about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want you to know the mission is the same today. 
This idea that Jesus modeled, what he did during his earthly ministry, is the same mission that we are called to as Christians, as followers of Christ. That he begins to walk through. We're supposed to have the spirit of the Lord upon us. And when he is upon us, there's an anointing. Just a, it's a fancy way of saying there is enablement. There's divine power from God to do what he's called us to do. There's divine power that rests on our life. And then it's to do these things that Jesus said. It, there's this God factor, in other words, to be better than who we actually are. I don't know if you know about this, about me, but I am not all that great. I'm just going to, we'll have that out, right? I am not all that great, but there are some giftings God has given me to make me look a whole lot better than I am, to help me to do things a whole lot further than I could do them in the natural. And I know myself better than any of you know me. I know that I am not that great. If we just be honest here in this church, I know my shortcomings and I know my failures, but God has given me a couple of things. And the same is true for you. That God has gifted you in certain areas. The Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Listen to me closely. The reason that we have the power, the anointing, is not so we can build ourselves up. It's not so that we can look great. The reason we have the power and anointing is to build the kingdom of God. Not to build our own kingdom. Not to puff ourselves up. Not to somehow feed our own egos. Listen to me, if that's what you want, and you better find yourself a different church. Come on, somebody. But it's to build the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the spirit is on me and I am anointed to preach the goodness. Mission is the same today. He's anointed us to spread the gospel, to tell a dying world about the hope of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why we are in this world. What our calling is, is to spread the gospel. In case you don't know what that is, you and I are sinful people. You and I are dead in our sins. We deserve to die because of the sin that lives on the inside of us. But Jesus came in because of his sacrifice. Listen to me. Because of the sin inside of us, there is no choice we have but to die. Because of the sin inside, you cannot pay for your own sins. Your only, your only option is you say, okay, then I'll die. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, suddenly he paid for our sins. Because he rose from the dead, suddenly we can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so you have a choice to make. You can either pay for your own sins, spend eternity in hell apart from God, or you can allow yourself to accept Jesus' forgiveness and sacrifice on the cross. You can put your trust in him and spend eternity in heaven. I don't know about you, everybody, but I'm staying in heaven. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm making my choice. That is the gospel that we're supposed to spread to every single person that we meet. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be sharing that. The process, we get to proclaim and proclaim freedom to the prisoners. So we get to preach the good news to the poor as Jesus Christ, as anointing comes on us. We get to now proclaim freedom as we bring the gospel. We get to tell people, hey, you don't have to die in your sins. Hey, that addiction or that drug or that alcohol, whatever it is that has addicted itself to your life, you can be set free from it. We get to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. It's what we get to do to every person that we meet, that there is a new life in Christ, that God has purpose for you, that you don't have to die in your sins. We get to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. God's power can set you free. Proclaiming freedom. And then we get to proclaim sight to the blind. Man, there has never been more blind people than there are right now. And I'm not talking about physical blindness. This world has lost its mind, everybody. I don't know if you understand this. And we, we are completely blind spiritually. We live in a world that thinks right is wrong. And wrong is right. And love is hate. And hate is love. We get to proclaim sight to the blind. And we get to come in the midst of a world of blindness and proclaim the light of Christ. That we get to spread the gospel, freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind. 
to recover. We get to help them understand they were born on purpose and for a purpose. We get to preach the gospel because people are hurting. Sin is real and Jesus is the answer. Listen to me, everybody. It's an opportunity we get. The mission has not changed. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. There's an anointing to reach out, to preach the favor of the Lord. We get to preach this. This the beauty of the gospel. It's what the Holy Spirit helps us to do. Release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's our job. The Holy Spirit helps us to do that. And Jesus knew it. He said to his disciples in Luke chapter 24, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you. Jesus tells that God never gives us something to do without giving us the power to do it. He said, I'm sending forth the power promise of my father, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with that power from on high. Jesus like, don't you dare leave Jerusalem. Like, don't try to be a light. Don't try to be a witness. Don't go try to travel across the bed. Don't, don't try to do all of these things until you have the power that comes from God. Don't try to set anybody free. Don't do all that until you have the Holy Spirit. And so this relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's what gives us the power to do what God has called us to do. You get that? It's so important in the life of the believer to have this relationship. And now it's our job to steward the power and the giftings that he gives us. Peter said it this way. He said he gives us these gifts, each one of you, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Use them well that God's generosity would flow through you. So we have this responsibility now. That we know that God has given us gifts. We know that he has empowered us to do the work. We know the work is to spread the gospel and to preach sight to the blind and freedom to the prisoner. And now it's our job, Peter says, to steward these gifts. Paul says to fan into flame the gifting that God has given you. So we have this responsibility to develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. To step into the power he has. We have to lean into that. We don't let the power go out, that fire go out. I, I think when we get to heaven, there are a couple of things we'll have to give an answer for. The first one is, is what did you do with Jesus? And the answer to that will determine whether or not you get to stay. Come on, somebody. Like, what did you do with Jesus, with the sacrifice that he did? You pay for your own sins with your own death and spend eternity in hell apart from God? Or have you chosen to, for, to receive the forgiveness that Jesus gives? What did you do with Jesus? And the answer to that will determine whether or not you get to stay. And I plan on staying. Come on, I think heaven's going to be great, everybody. And then what did you do with the gifts that you were given? So the answer of salvation is clear. We are saved by faith through grace, not by works that anyone could boast. We are saved by grace through Christ. But then there is a question that is put to Christians when we arrive after that first one, after it decides whether or not you get to stay. What did you do with the gifts that you were given? What did you do with the opportunities? What did you do with what God placed in your life? What did you do with that influence? And what did you do the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gave you to make a difference in the world? And I honestly, I'm worried about the answer to that question. For a large majority of the church around the world and throughout, I'm worried about that question. You know, most Christians probably couldn't even guess what their spiritual gifting is. The Bible's shouting from the rooftops that God has given us gifts and God has given us abilities to play our part in the kingdom of God. And yet most of us would say, I don't even know what that gift is. Unique gift to make a difference. That whether you have pastor in your title or not, all of us are supposed to be spirit-empowered, preaching the gospel and setting free the bondage. All of us are supposed to be a part about this. Paul is saying in Romans that God is making his plea to the world through us. In fact, the Bible says, how will those who are lost know about it unless someone tells them? Well, that someone has to be us. Has to be us. 
That we are called to make, God has placed us in the world to make a significant difference. I hope you know that's why we exist as a church. This is kind of, I told you, this whole message is housekeeping today. This is why we exist. I hope you know that victory is not around to be a social club for Christians. I hope you understand that. Like, we don't come here on Sundays just to have, like, an hour of power that just kind of lifts you up a little bit. And you can check that spiritual box and just kind of move on with your week. That's not why we're here. I hope you understand. We are part of the Big C Church, the larger church across the world and across history that is called to make a difference and to reach others with the gospel of Christ. That is what we are called to do. We are called to make a difference in the world around us. And we are part of the larger church that is just a group of people who are fired up about the, re- fired up about the idea that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. That's who we are as a church. That's what we celebrate. And so when we are called to then take that message of hope to those around us. That Jesus is alive and his power is available to all. It's the only thing we are here for. We are on a search and rescue mission, Jesus said. I've come to search and to seek and to save that which was lost. And so all of us have been given gifts that we are called to manage. Every single person, whether you're in the room right now, you're watching online, you're hearing this later, wherever you are, God has given you a gift that you're supposed to steward and manage. You can imagine Paul's writing, fan into flame the gift that you received. Peter is writing, each one of us steward the gift we have so that God's people can be blessed through it. Each one of us serve each other in love with the gifting God has given you. If you hear nothing else today, begin to think right now, do I know what gifts God has given me? Do I understand why God has placed me where he has placed me? Do I understand why God sends the type of people that he sends around me? Do I understand why I've been given the opportunities that I have? Pastor Maxon talked about being a lampstand in the place where you are planted. God has expectation of you that you would spread the gospel. That he is making his plea to people. There is no plan B. God has placed you there. He is making his plea. And there are people whose lives hang in the balance because eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real. And their lives hang in the balance about your obedience. They, they waver between you. Understand God has called you. He is entrusted to us. And sometimes I'll tell you, I don't know why he would trust us, but he has. To be the people at this time in history. To be the lights in this place. To plant you where you are planted. To make a difference for the kingdom. Not to build our own ego. Not to build our own pride. Not to puff ourselves up for 90, 100 years that we're here on this earth. Not to, not to just let us kind of build whatever it is. But to build the kingdom. To spread the gospel. God has gifted us to do that. I don't know if you realize that. But we have a dream for your life here at the church. Like we have a dream for you that you would step into the gift. Like we know what the, the win looks like in your life. We know what the touchdown looks like. Like we understand, you understand, we want you to grow in your giftings that you would begin to pour into others. That's as simple as I can make it. I want you to take you from where you are to where God wants you to be. That to grow and to understand what you are gifted in, that then you could start to serve others in love, that you would spread the kingdom. That's what the church is. The Great Commission, Jesus didn't call us to say, go and make consumers. Because listen to me, if you are just a consumer, if you're not using your gift, you're not bringing people to Christ, you're not telling others about the gospel, you're not serving others in love, whether leading a small group or serving on a team here at the church. And listen to me, serving at the church is just one way. There are a million ways out in the community that you can be a light. But if you are just consuming, you are not living the life that Christ has called you to live. It's quiet in this church, everybody. I enjoy that. All right. If you are, Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make consumers who love going to church and demand special programs for their special interests. 
to step on every toe today. It's going to be amazing. That's just, that's not the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world making disciples who would obey everything that I have commanded you. With what's what? To go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what we are doing here. It's why we have these things. The expectation that we would be contributors to this thing. To the kingdom. There's an expectation as a Christian. Now listen to me. You come in broken and needing healing. I promise you this can be a breath of fresh air. You just rest and stay. And as you begin your new life in Christ. But at some point. You go from consumer to contributor in the kingdom of God. That's the life God has called you to. That we are called to reach those around us. God has given us gifts. That we are supposed to steward well. To fan into flame. To spread the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit has done for us. It's why we've shaped midweek, by the way, the way that we have, starting here in a couple of weeks. It's why we have that, why we have small groups and ways to be discipled, to grow in God's word. It's not, we don't need something else to do, everybody, all right? You understand, like, this isn't just like we saw the calendar and realized it was so empty and we need something else to do. That's not what this is. This is my prayer for you, that you would begin to be filled with the word of God, that you would begin to nurture that relationship with the Holy Spirit. You would feel the power that God gives us and that you would step into the gifting that you have. That's the calling God has on our lives to make a difference in the world around us. I would be heartbroken as your pastor. If you showed up in heaven, met your savior face to face and he said, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? And you said, nobody ever told me I had gifts. I didn't know I was supposed to do anything. But God has given you this whole thing we're doing. Listen, it's not about us. It's not about what we like. It's not about what we're trying to build. It's not about any of that. It's not about what we want. It's about the fact that Jesus gave his life, that none should perish, that all should find everlasting life. And we are called to spread that gospel message around the world. You and I are a part of helping them see that. But it starts with us. We have to first fan into flame the gift that God has given us. We need to be active in our faith. In fact, 1 Thessalonians says it this way. Don't put out the Spirit's power. Don't quench the Spirit's fire. Some of us can be actively working in the opposite direction. I'm afraid of that a little bit. Some of us can feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are understanding we've been given gifts. And we see what those are because we see us reaching others for the gospel with them. And then we actively quench it in our day-to-day lives we say well i just don't have time i know i'm supposed i I just don't want to talk to that person or i just don't want i don't have time i've got a schedule to meet and i just i don't want to stop and bless that person i don't want to share the gospel in that situation i don't want to pay for their groceries and be a blessing i don't want to i don't want to have peace in my life i am therapeutic in my anger i'm going to be in my anger and my offensiveness i don't need that we think of these things no i feel too insecure or to lead a small group or the schedule's just not right or i don't want to pour into them and i wonder if we come up with all of these excuses if we're actively quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. Or if we've come up with an idea in our own minds about what the Holy Spirit is and we don't listen to his promptings in any other area. It's got quiet in this church, everybody. Timothy could have had a reason. Timothy had every reason in the world, probably more than any of you. Timothy had a reason to read verse 6 and think, Lord, please know. Because Paul's writing to Timothy, hey, stir up this, this flame, stir up this gift that God put in. You know the gift that it is, Timothy. Come on, you know what God put in your life. Because Timothy's gift, you remember, Timothy's gift is to preach and to teach and to plant churches. It's to continue Paul's legacy. That's what Timothy's gift Except the moment that Paul is writing, Timothy, you know what that gift is. You need to step into it. Preach and teach and plant churches. That moment in history, that gift is probably the most crazy, dangerous gift he could possibly have. 
Today, we celebrate missionaries around the world. We celebrate those who plant churches and spread the gospel. We celebrate all the... In Timothy's time, he is hearing this from Paul, when this is probably the most likely way to die that Paul could have written to Timothy. Because he writes this letter, Paul is, and just, just, this is funny to me. Paul is writing this letter in chains because of that gifting. And he's like, hey, Timothy, you know what you should do? You know what would be really great, Timothy? Do the exact same thing that set me on the path to the executioner block. I think that would be great. Go ahead and fan that into flame, Timothy. I think it's funny. You know, he's just writing to him. In fact, I did a little study. Paul is writing while he's awaiting execution from Nero, Emperor Nero. You may have heard this. He's a demented leader of Rome. Didn't serve that long, but he burned his own city to the ground to try to bypass the Senate and build the city the way he wanted it to. Most demented. In fact, while the city is burning, accounts are differing on it, but he like sang a song to himself while his city burned. Had a play. Just demented leader. And when people began to discover, when rumors started to spread, instead of taking the blame for what he did, that emperor Nero, he blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. Started one of the greatest persecutions of the Christian church in the history of the world. Where they began to, this is why they began to cast the Christians into the Colosseum to be eaten alive by wild animals. Where they literally burned them at the stake. Where he would bring them, cover the Christians in tar, and then burn them as torches to light his gardens in the night. Credible persecution broke out against the church. The next time somebody writes something mean on your Facebook wall, just remember that's not persecution. All right, everybody? I'm just going <laughs> to... That's free. That's just not... These Christians are giving their lives for being followers of Christ. And Paul is writing Timothy in the midst of that saying, Fan into flame, Timothy. The gift that God has given you. I know there's persecution. I know that this is what's going on around you. I know I'm in chains for it. I understand what's happening. But the world is waiting for the message that you carry. And so all of that is secondary. All of the persecution, all of the opposition, all of that is secondary, Timothy. Fan into flame this gift that God has given you. Because the world desperately needs your message. Desperately needs the gospel. There's something else on the other side of your obedience. And I want you to know the same is true today. And so that's when it brings us to the most famous verse in this book. He's saying, fan into flames. I know the background, Timothy. I know the persecution. I'm suffering it. I'm about to die. And I know if you do it, you're probably going to die for your faith. And Timothy does. He said, I know all of that, but you have to fan into flame the gift because the world is waiting. And then he gives him verse 7. And he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He writes to Timothy, listen, Timothy, I know the persecution. I know these things that the world is on fire and I know Christians are being killed, but you cannot back down in fear. He's go together. He's saying fan into flame, spread the gospel, begin to preach and to teach. You need to steward the giftings the Holy Spirit has given you and you cannot live in fear. Now, we kind of jumped the gun two weeks ago. We spent the entire sermon on this verse. And so you can just kind of go and listen to that as part two of today. I'll get this series all out of order. It's going to be great. But just to kind of remind you, just short today, just get this thing for today. Let me remind you, so many of us look at what life looks like. We look at the world around us. So many of us, we, we see what the world looks like. It has lost its mind. And we see the chaos and the tendency is to pull back. Tendency is to circle the wagons, to hold on till Jesus comes. To, the tendency is to say, okay, I got what I needed. But Paul is writing, fan into flame. Too. I know what the world looks like. But for so many of us, maybe in fear, we're thinking, well, I'm not good enough then to reach a world that looks like this. 
I don't have the words or the right things or that person's too far. They need somebody else because I'm just, I, I don't have the right pedigree or the right background. And Paul is writing to young Timothy as an example. It does not matter your background. It does not matter your status. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Look, God has anointed you to spread the gospel. God has put this inside of you to fan into flame, this gifting. And because the world desperately needs you, you don't have a spirit of fear, but you have a power of love and a sound mind. Jot it down if you take notes, a spirit of power. We talked about this two weeks ago. Some of us don't understand the power that we have been given. We don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power we have as a believer is the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do. And too often we don't understand. It's fascinating to watch, even in the early church, when the Holy Spirit comes on these guys, what happens in their lives. You take Peter, it's fascinating. You watch Peter when Jesus is on trial. And Peter's in the courtyard and a little servant girl comes to her and is like, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And Peter lips out. No, I'm not a follower. No, I'm not. And there is zero boldness in Peter's life. Like he can't even tell a little servant girl in the dark that he is a follower of Jesus. Like zero boldness. He's just kind of like hanging and he, runs, he denies Christ. Zero boldness. And then you forward like a few weeks later at Pentecost. Peter is the one who stands up. They come flowing out of the house. Peter stands up and he's like, listen, everybody. And there are thousands there in Jerusalem, the epicenter, where they sacrificed, where they crucified Christ. A few weeks later, Peter stands up and he's like, listen up. Jesus was the Christ and you guys killed him. Now say you're sorry. Repent because you killed the Messiah. And thousands got saved. Where did that boldness come in Peter's life? It came from Pentecost. It came from the Holy Spirit resting on his life. That boldness that suddenly came. This guy, you watched him deny Christ. And then suddenly he's standing in front of this boldness that comes in his life to preach the gospel. Jesus said power would come on your life. Power would rest on you when the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit gives us that boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us that power that we can stand and make a difference and spread the gospel. Paul himself said, Paul himself said, I didn't come with fancy words or arguments or pretensions. He said, I didn't, that's not how I preach the gospel. Watch, he said, I didn't come, my message were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Listen to me, everybody. You will never argue somebody into following Christ. You never argue somebody into it, but you give them a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We live our lives with the boldness that Christ would put on us. We live our lives with that. That's where a difference is made and the gospel is preached. Because you will never win. I've never won an argument where both parties went and say, they say, yeah, you know what? You are completely correct. I think I will change my, that's not what we are called to do. We are called with the Spirit's power to spread the gospel. That confounds the wise. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what gives us the boldness and the power to do what God has called us to do. Power we need. Not walking around all afraid, a spirit of fear. Paul wrote to Timothy, walking and saying, you did not get in a spirit of fear. I think too many times we as Christians, we're all around thinking, well, the devil's going to get me. The devil's out to do this. Listen to me. You've been given power. I think sometimes we misunderstand that. We think, well, the devil's going to, the devil's all big and bad. Listen, Jesus spoke about Satan, right? He says, he said, I saw Satan. Watch this. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That's what he talks about when he, when he says, because the, the 70 come back to him saying, hey, demons are submissive to our name. And Jesus is like, you think that's a big, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You ever seen lightning? You ever been with a group of people and like lightning starts in? You're like, did you see, was that 
Like, did you see lightning? Did I? Did I? You think like the lights are flickering or something? We were out this past Monday. We were golfing out for the uh, CBC charity. Come on. <laughs> charity. We're out there golfing. And about a hundred of us. And lightning starts hitting close, everybody. Like starts smacking. And like we suddenly come to the realization that there are a hundred of us with like 15 or 20 lightning rods in our hands apiece. Like, like we have all carried. So I just want to go out and say my group, we were back in within five minutes. Come on, somebody. We were back in that clubhouse. Didn't even get wet. We had the wisdom of God on our lives. I won't tell you which church members were out there smacking balls in the middle of the lightning. Had to get run off the course by the course pro. Had to get like, come back in. Come on, just riding the thunder, hitting that thing all the way down. Improving their stroke by like three or four. It was just amazing. That's just, you ever seen lightning though? How quick that is. That's how Satan fell from heaven. Like, didn't even know it was coming. Like, there's this, there's this, Hollywood has sold us this idea that there is this cosmic battle between good and evil. And at the end, if Jesus is really lucky, that he might just like edge out of victory over the devil. That's, you all know that's ridiculous, right? Like, that's not the power struggle at all. That's not the, the, the disparity. Like, like lightning. God was just like, all right, I'm done with this. Flick like an ant out of heaven. And pff, didn't even know it was coming. Satan fell. Like, like. Lightning, he fell. Like the power that God has is so much greater than anything we would face in this world. I heard a pastor one time say, the devil is easy. It's people who are hard. Like people are crazy. People are the hard people to pastor. The devil's easy because at the name of Jesus, the devil has to flee. At the name of Jesus, there is power we have been given that I think sometimes we don't even understand the authority that we walk in. God has his authority. We have to walk with a confidence, understanding the power we've been given. And then it says you have a spirit of love. That perfect love drives out fear and real love, everybody. Not some jacked up definition of what real love is. We've been given actual love that serves one another. That counts others as greater than ourselves. Been given love. And then it says in a spirit of a sound mind. And honestly, this is the one I'm praying. I told you two weeks ago, I pray this over you more than anything else in the world has lost its mind. I don't know about you, but I am choosing to not participate. Come on, somebody. That's just, I just my thing. But it says a sound mind. I'm just praying that you would have a sound mind. Because the Bible talks about we set ourselves up against any pretension or thought. And we take captive any thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. That we would have a sound mind. That we would learn how to take captive those thoughts that try to set themselves against the knowledge of Jesus. That our wrestle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and spiritual darkness. That our wrestle is against that. And we would understand it and then take captive any thought. And so he says, you've not been given a spirit of fear. You have power. You have love. And then you have a sound mind. The Bible says the weapons that we have are set up are greater. And he that dwells in us, the world would try to tell you, well, you're not good enough. These are the thoughts that try to well up. And maybe you recognize them in your own life that you're not good enough or you didn't come from the right place and you'll never make a difference or God could never love a person like you. And these thoughts try to take your mind captive. That because of what you've done and things that are in your past, God could never love you. Or just look at all the relationships that walked out on you. Just look at all the people that left you and this church is probably out to get your money too and they just probably don't care about you and you'll never find freedom and you'll never be able to live the life and you'll never find this message for everybody else but not for you because you're just too far gone. The devil tries to use a busted script over and over and over to try to take captive your mind and your life. Try to whisper these things. And we've got to let the Holy Spirit show us the truth in God's word about who God has called us to be, to take every thought captive and obedient to Christ. 
that we get in his word and we realize, no, I am a child of God. No, I am a son and a daughter of the king. I am an heir of God and co-heirs in Christ. No, I am the head and not the tail above and not beneath. My God causes me to triumph in all things through Christ. That I have been called, that I have been anointed. No, devil, you can't whisper those words anymore because I'm taking captive every thought that tries to set itself up against the knowledge I have that he who lives inside of me is greater than anything I would face in this world. That I have been called and anointed, that I have a gifting from God to make a difference. And so I don't care, devil, what you try to whisper. I don't care people in your life that try to say things about you or try to drag you down. I don't care what your past tries to speak into your present. You are a child of God. That I put my faith and my trust in him because great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. So I continue to put my faith and my trust that I know. That I know that God has called me. That I know and I'll honor him with my life because I know that he gave his life for me. That he died for me and that by his resurrection I have been set free. That I can call on the name of God and be saved. That is the gospel. And we take captive every thought that tries to set itself up against that. No, no, no. I am called by God. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he has called me to do. Devil, I don't care what opposition. He's a defeated foe anyway. Like lightning, God flicked him out of hell. I don't care about it. I can't get caught down in those thoughts. I can't be dragged down by those ideas. I can't be brought down by that because I know I have a calling. I know that God has called me to do what he has called me to do and empowered me to do it. That is the message of the gospel. And now it's time for every single one of us. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you to make a difference for the kingdom. Bow your heads with me as we close today. Father, I want to pray, God, that we would seek as we step out this week, God, as we continue to steward the gifts you have given us, that we would seek to make a difference for the kingdom. And I want to pray over all of you that you would have a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. Before I do that, though, I want to speak to some of you who are here today or maybe watching online and you're listening to all of that. And listen to me, I don't know the exact details of your life. I don't know what you came out of. I don't know what you're going through right now. But I want you to hear this one. God did not cause that pain in your life. But I promise you, he can redeem it. And so if you're here today and you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, I want to know what my gift is and I want to follow Jesus, but I am so far from God that it is, I can't even explain. I'm as far from him as I have ever been. Listen to me closely. God still has a plan and purpose for you. He still wants you and he still loves you. He's still calling you. And I don't know, maybe the reason you are here in this room right now, maybe the reason you are watching, you're not sure why you're even hearing this message, but maybe the reason you are is God is drawing you because he loves you. And he's giving you an opportunity in this moment. If you hear me right now, he is giving you an opportunity to follow him. And I don't know what your past looked like, but I know this for sure. That in Christ, you can become a new creation. That in Christ you can be redeemed. In Christ, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you can be saved. And so it would be my honor right now to pray with you. It would be my honor to pray with you to make that decision to follow Jesus. To repent of your sin, to repent of your past, to leave that in the past and to say, I want to follow him from this moment. 
listen to me, our church, we have dedicated ourselves. We will pray this prayer with every single person who wants to pray it. This is who we are as the church. This is what we've been called to do to spread the gospel. And so right now, no one prays alone. Right now, we're going to pray that prayer together. And if you want to be included in that, you say these words and you mean them. I can give you the words to say. But you have to mean them in your own heart. You have to declare them with your own mouth and you follow Jesus. So right now, church, let's pray with those. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Of all my sin, I repent. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for every person here. Every person watching online. Every person a part of our church. I pray right now, God, give us the spirit of power. We pray, renew our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let us realize the authority and the power we've been given as followers of Christ. Let the Holy Spirit rest on our lives. Let it empower us to do the work of the gospel. That in everything you have called us to, everything you have put our hand to, you also bring the power to accomplish it for your glory, for your kingdom. Lord, let us never get caught up in our own pride. Never get caught up in our own ego, but let us use the power we've been given to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray that you have given us a spirit of love. That we would love others as you have loved us. That we wouldn't be so caught up, Lord, in our own self-righteousness. We wouldn't be so caught up in our own religiosity. We wouldn't be so caught up in our own pride. But we would see the hurting and our hearts would break as yours does to reach them with the gospel. That they don't have to pay for their own sin. That Jesus paid it all. Give us the spirit of love. Let us see with new eyes. Lord, let us never let our own inhibitions, Lord, let us never let our own political views, let us never let our own religiosity get in the way of the calling you have given us. That we are the church and we take a stand with the spirit of love. That we would cry out. That we would reach those who others say are unlovable. We would reach those that others think are unreachable because we know how deep a ditch you pulled us out of. Give us the spirit of love and then of a sound mind. I pray that over us, God, as we go into a world that has lost its mind, into the chaos as we wait out as servants of the king. Give us a sound mind, knowing what the word says about us and what the word says about those that we are called to reach. I pray a sound mind on our church, God, that we would continue to fan into flame the gifting and the calling of the Holy Spirit you have given us to make a difference, to spread the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, let's give God praise for what he's done today. Listen to me before.